Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to my home. My name is CJ. I don't know if I've met you all before or not, but I'm uh, going to be bringing the word this morning. Um, snow in here, uh, looking out my window. Um, is, this is uh, not my preferred way of communicating or worshiping. I, I imagine that's true for all of you, but <clears throat> I did this for a whole semester within our varsity and and the Lord met us in it. And so I'm anticipating he'll meet us uh, this morning through scratchy worship and um, scratchy audio. Uh, the Lord still reigns through all of that and can meet us. So uh, with great expectation, it, it's a joy and privilege that I'd be able to share with you from Luke 3, uh, 15 through 22. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to please open those up and follow along. So we just heard in the gospel reading about uh, Jesus's baptism. And as I was preparing this message, I was trying to imagine. Uh, oh, also, by the way, if my audio gets weird or you can't hear me well, text Kelly and Kelly is going to text me. So I'll know if I need to do something different on my end. Um, but that being said, as I was preparing this, I was trying to imagine what it would have been like to be the guy in the baptism line behind Jesus. I mean, he, he's heard this message of John the Baptist. He's gone out from Jerusalem and he's like becoming convicted that he isn't living his life of faith the way he's supposed to. And his call to repentance hasn't appealed to him. And so finally, one day he gets himself up and he goes out to the river and he gets in line with everyone else to be baptized. And the guy in front of him goes down into the water and, and John the Baptist seems a little hesitant to actually baptize him. And, I'm, you know, he's kind of wondering maybe to himself, man, who's this guy getting baptized? Perhaps he isn't in a heart of proper repentance like I am. But finally, John the Baptist agrees to baptize uh, this individual. And as soon as he does, the heavens open up and this bird comes down and I hear a voice and it declares this guy, the son of God. I, if I was in line next, I would be thinking to myself, maybe the person behind me could go next because I'm not quite sure about stepping into those waters of baptism after having just seen what I just saw, I was like, maybe I'll come back the next day. Because for the people that were going to be baptized, this was actually legitimate. This was a powerful moment for them. I know John in the text, he downplays his baptism, but he only does it in comparison to Jesus's baptism. To the people, they actually thought that John might be the Messiah. This was a meaningful event for the folks coming to be baptized. And John's baptism was probably in all likelihood a Jewish baptism. Now, I found this fascinating. Uh, the Jews actually practiced baptism. Uh, their baptism was used as a way of welcoming non-Jews or Gentiles into the people of God. So if, if I was a, a Gentile and wanted to participate and worship with the Jewish people, I needed to be baptized. So John's baptism is actually an indictment against Israel and Jerusalem because he is calling Jews to be baptized. He is telling the Jewish people, you are not the true Israel the way true Israel is meant to be. So come out of the false Israel, enter into the waters of baptism and become Israelites as Israel is meant to be faithful. It would be as if Andrew White started telling all of us to come follow him in repentance and leave Church of the Lamb, meet him down by uh, Cubs Run, and there be baptized. 
And slowly over the weeks, Kevin starts wondering why attendance is dwindling at Church of the Lamb. And he catches wind of what Andrew's up to and he goes to, to see and find out what's going on. And that's exactly what happened in Israel. The Pharisees, sorry, Kevin, you're not a Pharisee, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees come out of Jerusalem and they go to the Jordan and there's John the Baptist baptizing. And, and in Matthew, we're told that John the Baptist says to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Don't think you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Now, what John was doing before Paul had ever written it in Romans 9, Paul was, uh, John was expressing the same sentiment, John 9, 6 and 7. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they Abraham's children. So not all Israel is Israel. and People are flooding out of Jerusalem to be baptized to say, we want to be the true people of faith. We want to be Israel as Israel is meant to be. So this is powerful renewal and revival happening on a personal and corporate level as John is baptizing. And so in verse 16, I already mentioned this, when John downplays his baptism, he's only doing it in comparison to Jesus's baptism. John is in essence saying, my baptism is merely a symbol. Jesus's baptism will be a baptism of substance. I baptize in water. He will baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. And he explains that to us in verse 17. What is this fire? John uses an illustration of the threshing floor. He says, verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So Paul takes us, I mean, John takes us to the threshing floor. After uh, the oxen have treaded out the grain and they have uh, disengaged the grain from the, the husk, they're all down there on the ground and folks would take this fork and they would throw it up in the air and the chaff, the lighter husk would get blown off to the side and the heavier grain would fall down to the ground. And once they were done this entire process of separating everything out, the chaff that was blown off to the corner would be set on fire and burned and the grain would be kept. And so John is saying, my baptism is just a symbol. Jesus's baptism is one of substance. And you will be baptized by Jesus. All people will be baptized by Jesus. You will either be baptized by the Holy Spirit in repentance unto salvation, or you will be baptized by fire in judgment unto condemnation. Luke continues and wraps up John the Baptist's role in his book and tells us in verses 19 and 20 that John is imprisoned by Herod. And we're not going to spend any time there. Let's move to 21 and 22. Curiously, John is still in the picture. We're just not told he's here. But in 21 and 22, John is going to baptize Jesus. This is 21 and 22 reads, So when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, Heaven opened, the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. 
you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. I just want to focus us on one little phrase in these two verses. You are my son. And offer four thoughts, reflections, devotionals, uh, what have you, around this singular concept that Jesus is the son of God. So my first thought is this. When the father says, you are my son, he is saying that there is but one faithful man, one faithful son in all of Jerusalem or all of Israel. So all these people are flooding out of Israel, coming to be baptized because they're recognizing that not all Israel is Israel. And they want to be true. They want to be faithful. But what has happened historically is that God has chosen a nation of people and they've all found to not be faithful enough until it comes down to this one man, the son. God actually refers to his nation, Israel, as his son, Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. And so this son is not faithful, Israel, the nation. But it comes down to this one man, Jesus, the Christ, the son of God, who is faithful, who is the son who does live as God intended the nation of Israel to live, faithful to him, a light to the nations. And from this one man now emerges an entire new community of people, the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones, us. But we too are not the faithful one. We find ourselves faithless, struggling, and there is one faithful one that Israel hoped in, the Messiah, and that we hope in, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Second thought, second reflection. You are my son. The true son stands in the place of judgment. Jesus actually refers to his crucifixion as his baptism. I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed, Luke 12. And Jesus's water baptism foreshadows his crucifixion. So in the water baptism, Jesus steps into the Jordan River. Jordan in Hebrew is Jor and Dan. Yar meaning to, uh, to descend or to spread out. And Dan meaning judgment. So if you know someone named Daniel, that name means El, God, Dan, judge. God is my judge, Daniel. So Jordan is the waters or the spreading of judgment. And the Jordan River descends down to the Dead Sea, the place of death. And so Jesus steps into the place of judgment that flows to death. We saw Joshua, Andrew mentioned this a few weeks back, Yeshua was a foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament. And Joshua takes the people of God, the nation of Israel, steps into the waters of judgment, the Jordan, so that they could cross into the promised land. And when Joshua takes the Ark of the Covenant and places it in the Jordan, those waters roll back, we're told, Joshua 3.16, to a small town named Adam. The waters roll back, the waters of judgment roll all the way back to the beginning when Yeshua steps into the waters of judgment. 
And so, too, when Jesus steps into the waters of judgment, his baptism, his crucifixion is not merely a rolling back of judgment. Rather, it is a receiving the full weight of judgment on himself. Jesus in his crucifixion takes on the wrath of God that is due us. The true faithful son dies, is risen, so that we might be redeemed, baptized by him in his Holy Spirit, that we too would become children and sons of God. You are my son. Third point, and this is more of a fun point, but I want to bring it in. You are my son. The reflection on this is that God, not Joseph, is Jesus's father. Now, you have to track with me on this a little bit. Jesus's detractors likes to point out that he was born as an illegitimate child. He was born out of wedlock. John 8, familiar with that text, Jesus gets into a verbal slugfest with some of the Jews. And in the midst of this, they insult him by calling him an illegitimate child. We have another word for that I won't repeat. In Mark 6, he's referred to as Mary's son. He's never referred to as Joseph's son. Because while it was thought that he was the son of Joseph, he wasn't born to him because he was born out of wedlock. So to address Jesus's detractors, Luke is going to show us not only that the heavens open and the father speaks, you are my son. If you have your Bibles open in the following section in Luke three, John is going to, uh, sorry, Luke is going to do what is the equivalent of uh, a mic drop. If you guys, I don't know if you're familiar with mic drops and uh, the hip hop and rap world. There's these things called rap battles. You can look them up when we get done here. And two rappers go head to head, trying to insult each other as best they can, lyrically and very crassly often. And when one of them just uh, has decimated the other in their rap battle, he's been rapping this whole time. He'll hold out his mic and he just drops it. In other words, there's nothing left to be said. Well, What Luke is going to do here in Luke 3 is the equivalent of a mic drop. And he's going to do it by way of a genealogy. But it's not really a genealogy he's trying to offer us. He's trying to offer a rebuke to Jesus' detractors who would say he's not a legitimate son. And so if you look in verse 23 of Luke. Now keep in mind, we've just read in verse 22 the voice of the father saying, you are my son. So right after this, verse 23, Luke writes, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. And now the genealogy begins, and John is going to do a genealogy the way it's never done in scripture. He's going to go backwards. He's going to start with Joseph, and he's going to save the mic drop moment for the very end. So he was the son, Jesus was the son, so it was thought of Joseph the son of Haley, the son of Matit, the son of Levi, the son of Malachi, 75 times, the son of, the son of, the son of David, Jesse, Obed, Boaz, through the patriarchs, Judah, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. That Jesus is the son of God, not of Joseph, but the Lord God is his father. And Luke shuts down 
all of Jesus's detractors. Now I share that because I thought that was fun. <laughs> I, I thought that was literally brilliant uh, that Luke does this mic drop moment and gets in the face of those who would challenge Jesus's lineage and who he actually is. This last point, the fourth point I want to make is very personal. And I hope it might be personal to you too. You are my son. That those who receive Jesus's baptism are sons of God. The words spoken of Jesus in his baptism are also spoken of all who would receive his spirit. You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Jesus's baptism of us in the Holy Spirit is explained in Romans 8.15 as saying, you did not receive a spirit of fear that makes you a slave again, but rather you received the spirit of sonship, and by him you cry, Abba, Father. We do not practice a religion. We engage in a relationship with our maker, Father, as a son or a daughter to their dad. I didn't understand this when I first came to faith. I was raised in a church-ish home that was kind of Christmassy and Easter when I was growing up. But I actually came to faith through Young Life in 1987 on a retreat. I heard the gospel. I said, yes, I was, it was a live moment for me. It was vibrant for a few months. And then I slowly started to, to uh, more operate out of fear out of guilt, out of shame. I was a performer when it came to my faith and religion. Attendance was what mattered. And when I came to college, I got involved with InterVarsity and I got into leadership and I was using religion. I was using God as a way to prove myself as being morally upright or good or acceptable. And within that community, I was using leadership to show success and, uh, and that I was one who could be approved. So I was doing this three years all the way up to the end of my junior year. It's the summer of 1994. And the best animated film of all time was released that summer, The Lion King. And I, with my high school friends, get together and we're, we go to The Lion King and to watch it in the theaters. And three quarters of the way through the film, I find myself just weeping in tears at this one particular scene. If you're not familiar with The Lion King, uh, there is grace to you, but shame on you. Uh, it is the story of the prodigal ah! son retold. And uh, it follows Simba and his uh, misadventures as he yeah. goes into a place of uh, kind of existential angst of trying to uh, live this Hakuna Matata escapist lifestyle that he finds uh, wanting and unable to satisfy him. And so this scene that really got me is um, I'm resonating with Simba's like sense of trying to find meaning and purpose and he can't okay. get it. And so he comes across uh, Rafiki. You guys remember Rafiki? He's the wise old monkey sage. And they're having this conversation and Simba realizes that Rafiki uh, knew his dad Mufasa. And so he says to Rafiki, he says, you knew my father? And Rafiki says, correction, I know your father. 
I don't do impressions well, sorry. Um, and Simba says back to him, I'm sorry to tell you, but my father is dead. And Rafiki says, wrong again. He's alive and I'll show him to you. You follow Rafiki. He knows the way. And this little adventure happens and they go down to this body of water. And at the body of water, Rafiki points Simba down and says, uh, go, look. Simba goes down to the water thinking he's going to find his father. But at the water's edge, he only sees his own reflection back at him. And he says to Rafiki, that's not my father. That's just my reflection. And Rafiki says, no, look harder. And in that moment, the heavens open and a voice speaks and says to Simba, you have forgotten me. You have forgotten yourself and so have forgotten me. You are my son. Remember who you are. Remember, remember, remember. And he pays away. And I'm crying in the movie theater. My friends are like, what's wrong with you? Um, and it's this moment where God was speaking into me that I had fallen into a place of false religion, of turning life with God into empty practices, that I had no concept that I was a son that was welcomed by the Father. I didn't realize that my baptism in the Holy Spirit was a baptism into sonship, into family, into relationship. And so just as Israel had forgotten God and John the Baptist was calling people into repentance, so in that moment, I realized I had forgotten God and God was calling me into repentance. And so for my question for us, Church of the Lamb, is where are you with God? Where are you today? Is this just a practice that you go through? Is this ritualized worship? Or are you engaging with God as a son to a father, as a daughter to a father? If you find yourself in empty and dead religious practice, would you come to the waters? Would you come to Jesus and receive his spirit for the first time or be reawakened to the fact that you already have his spirit? And that his Holy Spirit in our repentance, trusting that judgment has fallen on the one true son, enables us then to come to the throne of grace, to know our father, and to receive ourselves as son and daughter. John 1, 12 and 13. To all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me pray for us. Father, it is so easy for us to lose sight of you, to turn our eyes to ourselves, and not even always, Lord, to our, even our religious work or our morality, just self-focus. And as soon as we do that, we lose sight of you, Father. We lose sight of ourselves, sons and daughters. 
And Lord, we come confessing that to you, our need to repent and be renewed in our relationship with you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would resonate within us the cry of Abba, Father, that we would know as we go into this time of worship, as we go into our day to play in the snow, as we get back to work later this week, that we do so as those who are loved, trusting in the one true Son who stood in judgment for for us and in our place. So Lord, renew us as a church, renew us as your people. Might you bring glory to yourself through our lives. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.